0: Welcome to Every Man a Leader, a podcast designed for men. Being male does not make you a man. And this podcast is a conversation on what it means to step up to be the man that God's already made you to be. Every man listening to this podcast has a very specific calling and design, but we have to say yes. We have to submit and surrender to that call and surrender to our Father in Heaven for us to walk fully in that call. Every man a leader. Welcome to the show. Why is it that we play at such a low level? I think what's interesting in this particular episode is Brad dives into a lot about our identity. There's some things that he goes into that allows us to understand why we do what we do, but also to why we play at a low level. And it seems to be wrapped in identity. If we're honest, most of us don't really like where we're at. So what gives? I believe this particular episode might be one of the more important ones that we dive into. One of the things that I love about what we do here at Every Man a Leader is we go head first into the deep end. Because if we're all honest, most of us are tired of the shallow and especially in church. Most of us are tired of coming to Sunday service and playing a low-level game, playing a shallow game, and that's just not what we do at Every Man a Leader. As Brad jumps in, he'll actually start with this particular thought, is that Generals and Geniuses journal. Why am I bringing that up? Because it's time to get your pens out, get your notebook out, get your journal out, take notes, because this might be one of the most or more important episodes we will ever have and ever do. Welcome to episode five.
1: Seated tonight... Listen, tonight is going to be a little bit different if you haven't noticed that already. This isn't your mother's men's night in this place. Um, I want to give you some rules, and I want to talk about what's in front of you. So what's in front of you is a journal, and here's one of our rules for this evening, and it is a life mantra for all of us to grab a hold of, and that is this, that geniuses and generals, they journal. If you think about it, General Patton journaled, Thomas Edison journaled. If you think about some of the other people throughout our our history that were some of the most brilliant, some of the most uh, strategic individuals, they journaled. Solomon journaled. King David journaled. And here's why he did it, because each of them recognized that when you have stuff that gets stuck inside of your lives, one of the best things that you can do is to get it out by writing it down. And many of us, many men that I come in contact with, when they think about the word journal, all they can think about is flowers and their wife because that's something that women do. But around here, geniuses journal. Each and every one of us, I often see that will come and not realize the true treasure and they won't steward the gift that God brings because they won't write it down. Well, tonight, gentlemen... I paid for your journal, and I want you to get this locked in. genius's journal. Say it with me. Journal. All right. Here's a couple other rules. I want you to suspend your skepticism. If you walked into this place and you're feeling a little skeptical and you're listening to the music and everybody came in black and you're just thinking to yourself, what's going on here? I just need you to suspend that for just a moment. I need you to come in here as a non-cynical, non-jaded, non-messed-up individual by all of the, the, the torrential storms of life. And I need you to sit in this chair like a little kid for just a minute. I need you to come into this place and to realize that one of the things that hinders and holds us back is because of all the things that we know. And the know-it-all attitude that develops within us is really just a little child that's hiding in fear. But when we come into any environment with a posture of saying, I just don't, I don't know anything. I'm just a little boy, like Solomon said. I don't know my way around. So I need you to trust the process. I need you to be here in this place for the next little while. I've got one hour with you tonight, and I promise you it's not going to just be me talking. And then I need you to take each instruction that I give you, and I need you to follow it as best as you can. Can you do that for me? Now, what you heard when you walked into this room was a weird sound. It sounded like somebody's muffled voice saying over and over again, this will not be easy, this will last a while, your brother will not save you. And that is true. Your brother can't save you, but your brother can help in the process of liberating you. There's only one man who came to bring salvation, that's Jesus Christ. That's not our responsibility, it's not my responsibility to save you. That has set me free, I will tell you that. I can lead you to Jesus, but part of my responsibility and the man who 's next to you is the opportunity to help to liberate you and to unlock some of the doors that are, are, are inside each and every one of you that you have not yet opened because of just not understanding. like I said, there is three hoods each of us goes through in life: malehood, boyhood, and manhood. But the problem is is that there is a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication because of the culture and the climate that we live in. Most men in this room, if any, have had an individual or a man walk them through an intentional process of becoming a man. What I have found in studying the last couple of years of how the United States government trains Navy SEALs has piqued my interest. And here's why. Because I found out that when they train a a United States Marine, they spend or invest about $25,000. But when it comes to a Navy SEAL, they invest about a million dollars. And the process by which a Navy SEAL goes through is so interesting because it's it's a four-part process where they insert a belief system, get them to a point of breakthrough, allowing them to bond with their brother, which then establishes them in a brotherhood. Now, what's also interesting about that is in scripture, the number one analogy used for a believer is a soldier. Now, I don't know about you, but when I heard those two, how many of you here like Navy SEALs? Six of you, great. Okay. Cool. Well, it turns out there's a reason. And part of it is because deep down on the inside of us, each of us desires to be great. It is a characteristic that God placed on the inside of each of us. We don't wear jerseys from long snappers and second-string punters. We wear, wear the jerseys of the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, the guys who make the plays. Is that right? And that's by design. God created us in such a way that we would understand and realize that we were created to be great. We weren't created just to be male. We were created to be men. This is what the passage uh, in Ezekiel 22 says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. It doesn't say he couldn't find any males. It says he couldn't find any men. So there must be a difference between being a male and being a man. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I want to just share this with you because I think it will help us to set the tone. And as you heard in that video, may or may not have, What I felt like the Lord gave me for tonight, all the king's men, bring together the king's men. The reason why you're in black is not so that you can uh, be frustrated at me. I know some of you were a little bit uh, upset that you had to wear a suit or put on a black shirt or whatever it was, but it was to do two things, to unify and to elevate, to unify and to elevate, because here's why. Psalms 133 says that unity brings a blessing commanded by God, and our men need to unify. And in addition, what happens in unity is when we start to come under alignment with God and understanding who he made us to be, how he crafted us, how he designed us, all of a sudden God starts to bring a blessing upon men. But the problem is, is in our society as a whole, we see most men are actually living in a curse, a generational curse. Now that doesn't, I don't want to make that sound too overly spiritual because all a curse means is to dam upstream. Upstream. So let me give you a snapshot of what's happened just in the last hundred years, and it may give you some scope and some understanding about why you are where you are. But if you go back a hundred years and you look at the way that the enemy has come against the family, it tells a story why many of us have not had the type of men leading us in our lives and why some of those who have abused us and hurt us ended up doing so. But if you go back 100 years, you'll see that the the crux and the center of the family life was an agrarian community where the family worked together, spent time having meals together. And somewhere along the line, there was this pitch made about the Industrial Revolution. And just about that time, the pitch was that we're going to have all these incredible things. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to be so awesome. And they bought in. And so what happened to dad is he left the home, he went to a factory where he no longer was a creator and he became a a cog in a wheel, right? And now all of the energy that he would use to bring his children alongside him was gone. It evaporated and he ended up being uh, a cog in a wheel with little energy left. So he would work for 12 to 14 hours and then come home and have little to give to the family. So these are our father's fathers, our fathers' fathers' fathers. And so after that period of time, what happened? So then you have the Great War, World War I, comes onto the stage. And now the young men are being trained to have no feelings. Why? So that they can be good killers. So they're going off to war, and they're being trained to not have any feelings. And and basically now there's a tidal wave of gender confusion that comes in. And now uh, mom has to take over. She's now operating in roles because she's got to pick up the slack. And so you can see what's starting to happen. These men come back from war. They're messed up from PTSD and everything else that's taking place there. But they've been taught to not have any feelings. So they don't know how to share feelings because nobody has actually explained to them or helped them to see it because, in fact, they were trained to do something different. I don't know if this sounds like anybody that you grew up around, but I know that all of my uh, grandfather and uncles went to war all of them kind of had a characteristic of this. I remember looking to my grandfather on my dad's side to be able to give me some instruction, just some words, something of encouragement to help me down that path. But he didn't know. He barely said any words. And so what I ended up with is at about 13 years old, I had a conversation with my father that went something like this. Hey, son, have you gotten laid yet? Hey, dad, I'm 13 years old. No. No. My parents divorced when I was two, but I was living uh, in California with my mom, but my conversation with my dad, and I don't need you to be freaked out because my dad's an awesome dad. He has unconditional love. He just didn't know how to help me be a man. He knew how to be help me try to be a male, but he didn't know how to help me to be a man. And I said something to the effect of, Dad, I'm a, I'm, I go to a church. I'm a Christian. No, I'm not doing any of that stuff. But inside, I had no idea who, who I was or what my identity was. But I was confused because the one who was supposed to lead me was taking me down a path that I wasn't sure of. And so I'm looking to him to give me some direction, looking to him to give me some advice. And some of you in this room, you've had no father. You've had no instruction. You've had Nobody. Or some of you have had someone who was abusive somebody who didn't know because nobody showed them, nobody helped them. And so what do we end up with? Our current state of affairs, which is a curse. Extended adolescent, the suicide rate for men over 60 years old is the highest it's ever been. It's crazy. Women 50, at 50 years of age are now divorcing, leaving their husbands like never before. We're broken, we're busted, we're bored, we're burned out, and we don't know why. We don't have any idea of why we're where we are. We're not sure. We don't know. We come to church. We know that there's an opportunity and there's an answer and God says some things about us but the stories that are running in our minds the records that are playing over and over in the lack of diligent instruction to show us how and show us the way are devoid meanwhile guys when they come and I watch and because I get a chance I'm starting to see a breakthrough in the light they, they're desiring and hungry to share their story but they're feeling just a little bit intimidated because what will happen if you reject what if I tell you that I've Been struggling with porn. What if I tell you that I've been having an affair? What if I tell you that I'm an alcoholic? What if I tell you how I sedate and suppress myself, and you reject me? I can't handle that. So I'll just shut my mouth and act like everything's okay. And you're crumbling under the weight. It's not how you were designed to live. It's not how Navy Seals live. You know how they live. When they handle the weight, they got a brother right there. They're looking at him. Causes something to rise up. You can go out there and purchase the book, The Power of the Other, by Dr. Henry Cloud, if you'd like to read all about that. But it. It is not weak to need another man to help you it is actually weak to not share what's going on on the inside of you and it is weak to stand there acting like you have it all together and you've got it figured out because none of us do none of us have it figured out in this room that's why God gives us each other that's why he gives us brothers and one of the problems that I see when it comes to even women because God created women and they're wonderful and they're beautiful They're amazing. Can I get an amen to that? But they are not the source of life. They are not the source of validation. And what I see from so many, you, me, I got into this situation is looking for a woman to be able to give me what only God can give me, and that's validation. If a woman who was in tight clothing walked through this door, I guarantee you some would turn your head and some would try whatever they could do to get the validation, to say that I am worthy, I am something. It's so simple, but yet so complex because nobody's helped us. And religion isn't an answer. Going through activities, emotions isn't an answer. But what is an answer is us understanding the identity that God has given to us, understanding Him as the source of life, as the one who has all power and authority for us to plug into, to understand it at such a level that we begin to realize why the greatest men in Scripture, this phrase you could find so often, then God said, then God said to Joshua, then God said to Moses, and he spoke in such specific ways. And he gave them such detailed instruction. And you have Solomon, the richest man that will ever live, who said, I'm just a, I'm but a little boy. I don't know my way around. I need your help. And he would plug into the power source and understand authority. Let me share this with you. The NFL, excuse me, the kingdom of God is like the NFL. Have you heard this? Okay, great. Each game, on each field, in each st- stadium, there will be three teams that take the field. There's always three teams in a football game. There's the home team, where the fans that are of that field are cheering for them. Everyone agrees with them. They're the home team. The visiting team, typically they're the enemy. They're invading the territory of the home team, which means a war is about to break out. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be chaos. Uh, and there is going to be people that are going to be taking sides. But the third team is the team of officials. Now, this is the group of men that stand in the midst of the chaos and the conflict on the field in order to bring order to the confusion. Their job is to manage the conflict. Now, these officials, they don't belong to the home team or the visiting team. They belong to the league. Their commitment is to 345 Park Avenue in mid-Manhattan, New York. Way up north is the kingdom of the NFL. Now, this kingdom of the NFL has assigned these officials to represent or represent them in the field of play. Their job isn't to take sides, but it's to represent Park Avenue that's up north on the field of men and the confusion that surrounds them in order to apply the rules from up there on the field down here now they've gotten their instructions from the league office headed by the, com- the commissioner commissioner the question's not do they make the players happy or the fans happy the question is do they make the commissioner happy now the players can applaud them but if the commissioner doesn't they're in trouble Their governance is based on the authority bestowed upon them and the book of the league office and the commissioner. Are you catching on? See, God's third team is a group of men whose job it is to represent him and his kingdom on the earth. go on. Now, when officials are managing a game, They have a book. That book sets the rules of governance of how the game is to be managed. Personal opinions don't matter. Feelings don't matter. Arguments of the competing contestants are not the first concern. If the crowd boos or cheers, if the official starts listening to the crowd, it won't be long before he's one of them. His commitment is to the league office based on the book that they've been given to govern by. God has a kingdom. He has a book. And his team is supposed to be managed or to manage life by the book that he's given the commissioner of the league which is known as the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is a way of seeing, thinking, believing, and speaking. And it's a way of sequencing. The other night, I just felt the Lord remind me of, and this is going to sound strange to some of you, and I'm going to push on some of your religious feelings or whatever, but uh, I felt like the Lord just reminded me, said, Brad, where's the tattoo on your back? And at the moment, I was like, I actually kind of forgot where it was, and then I had to look. It's over my right shoulder. He said, What does it say? And I said, It says Il Sangue Real, which means of royal blood. And he said, when did, when did you get that? And I said, Well, and then just boom, just a flash. I was taken back to this moment. I was 19 years old, basically had found out that I'd gotten a girl pregnant. Before that, seven, I was 17. Two years I spent in Bible school because I didn't know what I was going to do. I was looking at baseball, I was looking at this. and I, So I come into this situation. And I come out of Bible school, all these people telling me that I'm going to do such incredible things for God. And then this situation happens. I'm living with my dad, my grandfather, my brother, my mother, my brother. Or excuse me, my grandmother. My brother had just finished college. He was kind of in a quandary, and I just was lost. I didn't have much of an identity. I didn't know what was going on. I, I just was lost. And I remember the people that were surrounding me. These were people that I went to Bible school with telling me that, How can God use you? And I listened to their voice. I listened to their voice loudly at the time, and I pretty much started to just play that record over and over again. Basically, God, I deserve plan Z. I I deserve the worst of the worst. I deserve whatever it is. But I heard this faint whisper. And this, I hope, will encourage some of you about the voice of God. I heard this faint whisper. I have plan A for you. And when I heard it, I I just... It was so contrary to everything else, everything that was trying to destroy me, to tear me down, to to tell me that I would never be able to get up, rise up from this situation, that I just felt so inferior. And I heard this voice so faint. And when I kept hearing it, I I broke down in tears. And I started to listen to it more than I listened to all these other voices that were coming at me. And I started to move from just uh, listening to it to start saying it out of my mouth. Bible talks about this. It says the word of God is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. This is what I know about how God created us. He created us with two processors, a brain and a heart. Both of those are coming on the scene of helping people more and more to realize that those two processors are so key to you actually extracting the reality of who God made you to be and the identity for you. But you need it not only in your mouth, you also need it in your heart. When the Bible talks about the heart, I'll tell you, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, it uses two different words than it does for spirit. For those of you who grew up and maybe you heard that your heart was your spirit, but I believe this, that our heart literally is the heart that's in our chest. Here's why I, know, I, I believe that. Because studies have shown that there's 40,000 neurons in your heart that connect to your brain. It's where our long-term memories are held. And one of the first, thing that, first things that Jesus said is he came to heal the broken heart. And we'll talk about that in a second. But God is a God of divine order. And one of the things that helps us to Be freed in our lives is when we allow God to come in and to heal the brokenness. So here I was. I was broken, but I started to listen to those words, and I started to agree with those words, and I started to align with those words. I started to get into unity with those words. That God had plan A for my life. God had plan A. Every other voice outside of me said contrary, but not that voice. And so I leaned in and I listened to that voice. I began to visualize my, myself uh, having plan A. I began to think about it, talk about it, began to walk through the situation. I now have a 21-year-old daughter who just graduated from ASU who is beautiful, a treasure to me. I walked through the situation of the difficulty of, of not actually marrying that girl, God, uh, providing somebody for them and having to walk out the difficulty and the decisions and walking in love and trust that God would continue to bless my life and the situations even though I had made a decision that was difficult, that was wrong, that was missing the mark, which is what sin means. And and so I'm talking to the Lord about that and and he said, and, and you remember when you got a revelation that you're of royal blood do you remember when you got that? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said this so clear to me. He said, and do you remember the day you turned your back on the enemy and all he sees when he looks at you is the Osongwe royal of royal blood? And I'll, I'll tell you, I had a moment. And then he said, you know where that is, which arm that's over? He said, it's your, your right arm. He said, you know where you're seated with me, at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Do you know what the right hand means? It means power and strength. Now listen, I can, I can stand before you and tell you how difficult it is to walk through a screw-up and a mess-up, where you can look through the Scriptures and understand your royal identity and understand it from so many pictures that we get. You read First and Second Samuel, and this guy named Mephibosheth, I talked about this a little while ago, just basically understanding Mephibosheth, he was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the friend of David and his grandfather was King Saul. He was five years old when both his grandfather and his father are killed by the Philistines. are killed by the Philistines, and then, to make matters worse, the nanny who's caring for him, Ziba, she takes off because she's afraid she'll lose her life, and they'll come after uh, Mephibosheth. So she runs for her life, has this freak accident. This freak accident, trips, falls, and the kid is crippled in both legs. So at five years old, he goes from having it all, being, being a prince, being a part of the kingdom, to it completely going south. And some of you in here can identify with a situation that happened to you that you, you, you didn't have any part in it. Maybe your wife left you, maybe a situation, abuse, whatever it is. And so here's Mephibosheth, and he's just devastated because what it means during that time to be an individual crippled in both legs is you're economically vulnerable, you're physically vulnerable, you're physically immobile, and religiously, you're an outcast. You are alienated. I can tell you, I identify with a couple of those. Feeling like you're alienated because of a decision I made and a decision that somebody else made against you, right? That hurts you. And so what happens? He ends up in 2 Samuel 9. He's, he's in Lodabar. He's in this pastureless, dry place. And basically, he's, he's just hiding out, just wasting away, just living his existence. And then King David takes over. And King David remembers the covenant that he cut with Jonathan. And he says, Are there any descendants of Jonathan? Any descendants that I can show my loving kindness? And so he goes to search, finds out there is Mephibosheth, whose name means out of the mouth of shame, searches him down, finds him, and says to him, Hey, listen, I want to show you my loving kindness. I want to return to you all the land and all the goods and everything. I want to treat you better than you can imagine. And you're going to eat at the king's table the rest of your life. And this is how Mephibosheth responds. What am I, your servant? That you would even notice a dead dog like me. Now, I can tell you that that is how some of us feel in this room. The enemy takes condemnation and shame. Those are his tools to wreak havoc on you, to make you feel like you're less than. You are a dirty dog. When in reality, remember, Jonathan cut covenant Or excuse me, David cut covenant with Jonathan. Let let me remind you of who God cut covenant with. He cut covenant with Jesus. The reason why he shows you loving kindness, he invites you to the king's table, doesn't have to do anything with with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. That's why it's good news. But we consult with what we have done, what we haven't done, what, what we just did to Gather up our identity. The lies that we start believing, they become like some have said. It's like pushing a beach ball underwater and trying to hold it down, or hiding grapefruits in your pocket, or whatever. I mean, you just—it just becomes so exhausting. I and mean, we weren't designed to live that way, but we haven't had the access, we haven't had the instruction, we haven't had the encouragement to understand how God has ordered things, so that we can actually come out of the darkness and into the light, how to look at some of the areas where we are frustrated, uh, to be able to admit how and, and why and what am I doing when I get overloaded, overstressed. I mean, I've grown up thinking that integrity was this doing right all the time thing. And then I read a book that's out on that table called Integrity by Henry Cloud, where he talked about the current demands of reality. And he likened integrity to an airplane, and he said the way that they test the integrity of an airplane is by putting storms or force against it, and then they'll realize how much integrity it has once the wing rips off, and they go, oh, we got to fix that flaw. If we could just get a better definition of integrity, it would help us. If we could just get a better definition of purity, it would help us, because our definitions are rooted in works righteousness and, and a lack of understanding, because we see them as an outcome rather than a process. So when, I, when you look at this word integrity, it means to be integrated. It's like a, a whole number, it's wholeness. It means the same on the outside as on the inside. And the truth and the reality is, some of you, be, you're like, well, you don't know who I am on the inside. You don't know how dark it's gotten. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm capable, capable of. You don't know the anger and all, yada, yada, yada. No, I'm talking about Colossians 2.10, the reality of who God placed on the inside of you, his spirit, his life is in there. Now, what you see is just all of the dirt and the junk and the debris, but the reality of what God has placed on the inside of you is still there. But what we've got to do is come into alignment so that we can be fully integrated. You're supposed to get your identity from the Father, and then from that you obey. But most of us, we obey to get our identity so that the Father will approve of us, but the Father already approves of us, that's the good news, and when we understand that, we take and receive our identity. And out of understanding that I am a son and a child of God, then I'm able to respond in obedience to Him. Why? Because I'm loved and I'm valuable. So some of us don't understand the order even of Scripture as it relates to, if you said, what's true spirituality? I've heard many say, love God, love people. Sounds right. But it's not complete. It's not whole. Because the Bible also says, we love Him because He first loved us, which tells me that if I'm going to understand fully the the blessing and come into alignment, I have to allow God to love on me. And if I allow him to love on me, which is why in my quiet time, I spend time allowing God to love on me. That's what Zephaniah says. He sings over us with his praises, and I need to hear that. I need to receive that. Why? So that I can take on an understanding of my identity. What happens, I think, for us and to us is when we begin to understand this order that God has, and then what has he given me to steward? I mean, the Bible talks about these pillars that God gives us to protect. He gives us a, a physical pillars. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, obviously your spiritual life, your, your uh, Obviously, meditation and time with the Lord, time in his word, is not just so that we can do something religious. It's where we go to get instructions from the king so that he can, he can direct and navigate our lives. We need that. It's a place that we go to get our identity, to get our value, to allow him to sing over us. Because I don't know about you, but week in, week out, I get exhausted, I get tired, I get overwhelmed. A lot of stuff happens. I hear this voice, I hear that voice, and I need to hear his voice. I need to be with him, right? Then we have, obviously, our uh, relational life with our, our children, with our kids. We have our emotional life, which is something that we discount. Even though David said, I'm needy and afflicted. We, don't, we, we, would, we hate to say that as men. But the truth is, if we're going to guard the gates that God gives us and the pillars of power that he gives to us, then we have to be able to understand the simplicity of guarding and protecting those pillars. Emotions are one of the things that God has given to us to help us handle the stress of life. But when we never get those emotions out, we never talk to somebody outside of ourselves internally, we become a hurricane. You weren't designed to hold all the stress you're not designed to do it here's why because you're finite you're unfinished and you're finite god is not he is infinite he has all wisdom he has all power he has all authority you do not your financial life is a killer in your professional life the work that you do and each of those areas can get overly complicated i don't know if you're like me but when I think about my physical life and all that I have done, all of the stuff that I've gone through, whether it's CrossFit or five-by-fives, Olympic lifts, or, and the truth is, is we don't need more information. We need the simplification of information. We need to understand how we steward what God has given us and why we steward it, because it is the place where we get power in our lives. God said he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But these are the areas that the enemy comes to attack us. And you, you ask yourself, have you had any physical uh, limitation or a place where you haven't taken your care of yourself physically where the enemy has come and he's tried to derail you, take away from you? Yes. What about emotionally? How long has it been since you've sat down with somebody and actually answered the question, how's it going? Honestly. You know, I had to, I've had the last... Two years, I've had to go away to get a coach to help me because I've been emotionally immature. It sounds funny to say it to a group of guys, but the truth is I didn't know how to answer the question. What do you need, Brad? I have no idea. What's gone on in the last four weeks, Brad? What's three words to describe it? I don't know. I can't even remember anything. See, and what I found out is the guys in here that have gone through AA or some other program, they realize because of how intense emotionally life is, they've got to meet with somebody sometimes two, three times a day. Anybody say yes to that if you've gone through that? Yeah. All of us need somebody to share, someone to answer that question. So one of the things that I have noticed that I don't get a lot of because I'm a pastor is a lot of people saying, how are you? Now, please don't. I don't need you to do that for me, okay, every weekend. But I came to believe the lie that I'm too needed to have needs. And so I I got lost in understanding where I was at and what my needs were. I thought it was weak to tell somebody what I was going through or that I had a need. And most of the time, I just didn't know. But here's what I'm telling you. It's genius from Scripture. And you see it in the life of King David, who was a man after God's own heart. He would cry out to the Lord, I'm needy and afflicted. He had Jonathan in his life. He had a Nathan, someone who was a truth teller, to come alongside. And I love Nathan because Nathan didn't condemn him. If I say, hey, how are you doing? And you say, man, it's just been a tough week. Well, man, let me just tell you what, you know, Philippians 4.13 says. I didn't ask for that. Don't give unsolicited information. Here's how we're going to grow. And this is all I want. This is for the evening. Take it, write it down. This is what I want this year for our men in this church. For us to be able to ask another man this question, what do you need? When they express their day, week, month, whatever's going on. And then I want you to be able to answer the question, what do I need? Now, sometimes I just need to vent. Sometimes I just need to let it rip. And I just need somebody to allow me to just be crazy for just a second and vent. Anybody in here need to vent sometimes? Okay, there you go. There's 15 of us. We'll start our own small group. But sometimes I need advice. And sometimes I need prayer. Just before I walked in here, I had a brother that grabbed me and just prayed for me. I needed that. It was great. Why? Because it's daunting. I haven't set up this format. I haven't done it this way, but I'm wanting us to engage in a different way than us just coming in and doing what we normally do. But but that person doing that for me was fuel. I sit down, and I'm not good at this. I'll tell you this. I've admitted it to some of the guys that I've sat down with. I'm like, I want to try to solve this. I want to tell you something, but By and large, recently, some of the situations that some of the guys in here that are surrounding you that are dealing with, I can't. And God's like, you can't. I can, but you can't. So shut up and just listen and ask, what do you need? What can I do for you? And what I would love to see is a group of guys just saying, hey, give me me three words to describe your last four weeks. And there's going to be a big question mark. Some of you who... This is you know, not something that you've practiced in your life with any regularity. You're going to get real skeptical. You're going to get kind of an attitude with me. And I'm just going to ask you to not have that. And I'm going to ask you to dig in and look at Scripture and read the Psalms with different lenses than you have before. And you're going to see a man who crafted the Psalms by putting pen to paper and expressing emotion. And some of you, if, if you're like me, And it's been a little while since you wrote your wife a love note, and then you sat down to write it to her, and you felt like, God, I used to do this. I used to do this all the time. And you read some of your stuff, and you're like, who was that guy? But you've gotten so rusty. Why? Because you haven't expressed anything recently. It atrophied. It's just normal life. It atrophies. But guess what happens when you start to write out? It's why some of the practices like soap, Scripture Observation Application Prayer, Writing your prayers out make a tremendous impact and a difference because it gets it out of here and it gets it onto paper. So there are some simple things. So here's here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to find somebody that you didn't talk to. Okay, we're going to wrap up here. I just want you to find somebody that you haven't talked to already, and I just want you to ask them that question. Three words to describe your last four weeks. What do you need? Let's see how it goes. As
0: Brad wrapped up this particular message, he again brought up, the concept, the philosophy, and the narrative of Six Strong, the six areas, the six pillars that every man needs and must steward if they are to be an integrated man. But if you catch it correctly, the foundation is the love of a father towards his son. We got to get that first. Six Strong is just a name. The ultimate premise and the ultimate goal and the reason that we would even bring that up is full-blown discipleship, is full-blown followers of Jesus. Look, we don't follow some weak man or some weak leader. No, we follow the king of kings. We follow the Lord of lords. We follow the most mentally tough man to ever walk face of the earth, as you've heard us say many times. We follow a savior that took your sin and my sin on a cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured that cross. It is our reasonable service to be six strong. This isn't weak language. This is strong language. Romans 12 talks about this. It is our reasonable sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, we present our bodies holy and acceptable because it's simply reasonable based on everything that he's done and led us to and is leading us to this is what every man a leader is about and this is what we will continue to have conversations about the six pillars spiritual relational emotional physical professional and financial the premise and the purpose is to be completely integrated so that we can walk fully in what god has called us to be thanks again for listening we welcome you to the six strong conversation and we will see you on the next episode